Hey there, welcome back. We were listening to some YouTube reels. Have you heard the theory that the Trumps are time travelers? I mean, DeLorean. Top 10 amazing psychology facts. Number 10. A man is more likely to ask a woman out and spend money on her if she is wearing red. Number 9. The longer you hide your feelings for someone, the harder you fall for that individual. Number 8. Spending money on experiences, as opposed to material possessions, leads to greater happiness. Number seven, we automatically develop better advice for other people than the advice we give ourselves. Number six, out of all the senses, smell is most closely linked to memory. Number five, temperature can affect appetite. A person in a colder room is likely to eat more. Number four, once you lose someone, it's never exactly the same person who comes back. Number three, people who regularly play video games are faster at making real-life decisions. Number two, once you've noticed the fear inside you, remind yourself that it's all in the mind and that 80% of fears never happen. Number one, pretending not to miss someone actually causes your mind to miss them even more. Top 10 amazing psychology facts. Be running to the metro store because they just waved all activation fees this holiday season. Green screen is Stargate Voyager. This guy has been on every single continent on this planet, and he's taught and enlightened mankind everywhere. No matter where you look, you're going to find that he was there. He has many different names. In China, he was the first emperor, Wang Di. And of course, in Kemet, he was uh, Tho, Tahuti, Jehuti, Tahuti, throughout entire Africa. And you go up into Europe, he's Mercury, Odin, Thor. You go into, you know, ancient Samaria, which is now modern-day Iraq, he was Ningazita. Ningazita? Nigazita, that was his name, Nigazita. God damn, what a name, y'all, Nigazita. You know, you go down to the Mesoamerica area, you know, he was, of course, Teotihuacan, which is the city of Thoth. That means that's exactly what it means, city of Tehuti, which is in Mexico City. And then he's also known down through the Yucatan Peninsula as Kukulcan, Norfolk, Veracocha, Quetzalcoatl, and they call him Thothamami in Australia. Everywhere, I don't care where you go, you're going to find him. Both would go around and try to bring enlightenment all around the entire planet. This guy has been on every single continent on this planet, and he's taught and enlightened mankind everywhere. No matter where you look, you're going to find that he was there. He has many different names. In China, he was the first emperor, Wang Di. And of course, in Kemet, he was uh, Thoth, Tahuti, Jehuti, Tahuti, throughout entire Africa. And you go up into Europe, he's Mercury, Odin, Thor. You go into, you know, ancient Samaria, which is now modern-day Iraq. He was Nigazita. 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 That was his name, Nigazita. God damn, what a name, y'all. Nigazita. You know, you go down into the Mesoamerica area. Thought the Atlantean. So thought the Atlantean. Taught humankind on every continent. Give us civilization. Uh, 
you know, he was, of course, too, too, a commerce. Here's a great story about the Buddha and the arrow. One day, one of the Buddha's disciples asked the Buddha some big questions. He asked, what happens after we die? And if God is real, the Buddha was silent for a moment. And then he said, imagine you're walking in the forest by yourself and all of a sudden somebody shoots an arrow and it hits you. What would you do in this situation? Would you hurry to a nearby village to seek help, to patch the wound, stop the bleeding and save your life? Or would you stay still and wonder who shot the arrow? What was the arrow made of? How fast was the arrow traveling? What would you do? And the disciple answered, Oh master, of course I would go to a nearby village to seek help, to stop the bleeding. And the Buddha replied, We may not have all the answers to the mysteries of life, but one thing we do know for sure is that life has suffering. And unless we seek out the wisdom to heal our wounds, we will bleed to death wondering about things that we may never get an answer to. Here's a great story about the Buddha and the arrow. One day, one of the Buddha's disciples asked the Buddha some big questions. He asked, what happens after we die? And if God is real? The Buddha was silent for a moment. And then he said, imagine you're walking. The worst year in human history was the year 536 AD. Oh. They called it the year of darkness. 536 AD. When was that? What was happening at that time? There was a volcano that erupted in Iceland that ended up making the sky dark around the entire world or the recorded world Europe, Asia, Africa dark for an entire year from this cloud an entire this? year? an entire year like to where all these different nations recorded that year of like the sun gave off light like the moon Oh my gosh. Like it gave off no warmth and the global temperature dropped 15 degrees oh within that year. And so there was mass famine. It was like recorded in China that it was snowing during the summer. It was, <laughs> sounds like you're just describing Portland at this point. Like, yeah. <laughs> but what that did was with the famine and all that stuff, all these rats would come in because it was so cold outside. Oh. They would come into homes. Oh, no. Which ended up leading to the bubonic plague. No way, because yeah, yeah, they carried it. Wow. It was like the first recorded plague. Worst year in human history was the year 536 AD. <laughs> 10 mind-blowing facts about fruits. Number 10. The world's largest fruit is the jackfruit. This behemoth can weigh up to 120 pounds and grow up to 3 feet long. Number 9. Eating apples in the morning on an empty stomach can complete the deficiency of blood in the body. Number eight, grapes are considered very beneficial for type 2 diabetes patients. Number seven, bananas can be said to be very beneficial for your mental health. Number six, potatoes were the first vegetable to be grown in space. Number five, the vitamins present in mango make your hair and skin healthy. Number four, the world's smallest fruit is the waterwort, which is only about the size of a pinhead. Number three, Consuming melon is considered beneficial for your kidneys. Number two, antioxidants present in pomegranate strengthen the immune system and give strength to fight external diseases. Number one, apples and bananas are both members of the rose family. Follow Informer Bites for more videos like this. Ten the first ever photo of a UFO was taken in 1870 in New Hampshire. It was this cigar-shaped object just floating in the sky. And when people saw this photo, it absolutely blew their minds. You see, in the 1800s, there was this great rise of science fiction literature. Guys like Jules Verne and H.G. Wells would end up popularizing this idea of alien civilizations and interplanetary travel. So when a person saw a photo like this in 1870, having read a Jules Verne book, I bet you the first thing they think about is aliens.
The thing is, as human understanding developed over time, early astronomers like Giordano Bruno would start theorizing about life on other planets. Modern science paired with science fiction would create this new context for these beings of light. You see, these theories would completely capture the public's imagination. Ultimately, it led us to believe that these beings were our planetary neighbors. Showing what he describes as pyramid-shaped UFOs. You know, the classic alien. The Pentagon has since confirmed that the video is authentic. The first ever photo of a UFO was taken in... And the leader of the fallen angels, Semyaza, gets scared. He didn't want to take all the blame for leading his angels astray. So in response, the fallen angels bind themselves together in a mysterious oath. No angel could back out of this plan anymore. Now, fast forward to 1896, when this British explorer finds this ancient pillar on Mount Hermon. Conveniently, he finds these Greek inscriptions talking about an oath. It says, according to the great and holy God, those who take an oath proceed from here. But here's the interesting part. The God in this text is not the God of the Bible. The God in this text is actually the false God, Baal. See, there are over 30 ancient temples found in this specific area alone, which were used by the Canaanites and the Romans for pagan worship. Even the United Nations has a base here. You see, the fallen angels landed specifically on Mount Hermon, and it was there where they would become the false gods of the ancient world. The very leader of the fallen angels, Semyaza, gets scared. He didn't want to take all the blame for leading his angels astray. So in response, the fallen angels bind themselves together oh, in a mysterious oath. No angel could back out of this plan anymore. Now, fast forward to 1896, to to when this British explorer finds this ancient pillar on Mount Hermon. Conveniently, he finds these Greek inscriptions... Took an oath to pretend to be gods. Hmm. In Greek. Greek inscriptions. Are they in Greek? Because they to the Greeks. Hmm. That's a uh, book of Enoch predated Greek. Let's see if y'all are still there. Yes, you are. Hello, darlings. Pillar on Mount Hermon. Let's see what it says in the comments section. It um, personally, this is why the book of Enoch is. Canon. At the end of the day, my Jesus will always win. I'm so glad Kratos killed them all before they could get blooded and possibly survive. God is my strength and just bless my Savior. Amen. God is bigger than, by the way, um, don't say amen or hallelujah anymore. It's praising uh, false, false gods. God is bigger than the United Nations, blah, blah, blah. You truly have the Holy Spirit, blah, blah, blah. I find it hilarious how people keep saying there's no evidence, and yet there's plenty of it if you actually look. I also believe this fallen angels made the Greeks believe in those false gods and demigods such as Zeus, Apollo, Ares, and so on. Whoa. God, God, God. 
<clears throat> Let's see here. Oh god, but I love your content. Blah blah blah. No. See you. Let's try to publish. For the This is what seven types of questions. Oh shit. The first ever photo of a UFO was taken in in ancient times, people around the world worshipped lizards as gods. Mm -hmm. In India, there is a 1,800-year-old temple, and you can see devotees lining up to touch and worship a carving of a lizard. Actually, there are two lizards here. One is a giant golden lizard, and the other one is a smaller silver lizard. Today, they've put metal engravings covering the ancient stone carvings behind them. The name of this temple is Varadaraja Parumal Temple, and it was built in the 3rd century AD. Ancient Indians believed that lizards and other reptile-like beings came from the sky and had magical powers like shape-shifting. In ancient times, people around the world worshipped lizards as gods. In India, there is a 1,800-year-old temple, and you can see devotees lining up to touch and worship a carving. In a brand new 32-page court filing, Special Counsel Jack Smith plainly understands the high likelihood of violence as a result of Donald Trump's dangerous speech and posts. Without the court's intervention, the defendant will continue to threaten the integrity of these proceedings and put trial participants at risk. So in the event the judge lifts the stay, which I suspect she will, makes it a specific condition of release such that if he violates it, he will be revoked on release and ordered detained pending trial. If he continues to threaten, intimidate, and harass witnesses, court staff, and prosecutors, that's precisely where he belongs in a jail cell pending trial where he'll be neutralized his megaphone will be taken away and our nation our society our democracy will be protected against donald trump yeah a... oh shit in, in a brand new 32 page court filing special counsel witnesses, court staff, and prosecutors. That's precisely where he belongs. In a judge that if he violates it, he will be revoked on release and ordered detained pending trial. If he continues to threaten, intimidate, and harass witnesses, court staff, and prosecutors, that's precisely where he belongs. In a jail cell pending trial where he'll be neutralized, his megaphone will be taken away, and our nation, our society, our democracy will be protected against when a good time stop threatening us with a good time Glenn Nation needs a break from his daily presence. I'm sick of him. Are you all? LMAO, it's a joke to Trump and the court actually 
treat him like the crook he is. Orders and fines don't mean anything. He needs to go to jail, period. Why don't they arrest this man, rapist, liar, etc.? Donald Trump for prison 2023. Let's see where this goes or if it goes anywhere. I think, um, I think they're chicken. And also they don't want to be in, they don't want to appear political. Our nation, our society, our... Exclamation point. want to appear political. Exclamation point. So they give him preferential treatment that he don't deserve. Deserve. So he would be happy to go to jail too. Okay, I said I think the Justice Department is chicken. And Biden's Justice Department does not want to appear political, so they give him preferential treatment ad nauseum, which he does not deserve. Think he wants to go to prison. He is taunting them. His idol, Adolf Hitler, went to jail, so he would be happy to go to jail, too, to follow in the footsteps of his idol, Hitler. Stop threatening us with a good time, Glenn. Okay. I'm going to post this on X for Glenn Kirshner. Oh. Our nation, our society, our democracy will be protected against Donald Trump. If you want to get in shape, burn body. In 2017, a group of archaeologists led by the Ministry of Antiquities in Egypt stumbled upon something truly remarkable and breathtaking. Just a few meters below the surface, in a muddy pit in Cairo's Mataria district, was something truly extraordinary. The team was anticipating the usual stuff, maybe some everyday artifacts like pottery or small sculptures. Little did they expect that they were about to uncover something this mind-blowing. Beneath the surface, hidden from plain sight, was a colossal statue of Pharaoh Samtik I. Although recovered in pieces, the team managed to pin down Samtik's identity through the hieroglyphic inscriptions on the statue. As they delved deeper, even more intriguing artifacts came to light. Shed
In 2017, a group of archaeologists led by the Ministry of Antiquities in Egypt stumbled upon something truly remarkable and breathtaking. Just a few meters below the surface in a muddy pit in Cairo's Mataria district was something truly extraordinary. The team was anticipating the usual stuff, maybe some everyday artifacts like pottery or small sculptures. Little did they expect that they were about to uncover something this mind-blowing. Beneath the surface, hidden from... Did you ever wondered what the people of ancient Egypt truly believed in? We're diving into the captivating world of Egyptian gods and the mind-blowing beliefs that once shaped the sands of time. A civilization thriving along the Nile, entranced by myths and ancient legends that South echo Island. through the ages. But here's the kicker. Did you know their beliefs went beyond the obvious gods we often hear about? Egyptians believed in an unseen realm of mystical beings, each holding a unique role in the cosmic dance of life. Imagine living in a world where the line between the tangible and the divine was beautifully blurred. Egyptians believed everyday objects like mean? amulets and jewelry were sacred vessels, connecting mortals to the divine. These items were thought to hold cosmic energy, offering protection and good fortune. Did you ever wondered what the people of ancient Egypt Did truly believed in? We're diving... You see, your patriarchal religion snatched the mother right on about them, them religions. Demonized her, made her into something awful. Made, made you hate your own mom. Made you bow down to this father God with no wife and no mother. A lot of my sisters cleave to that Christianity because that's the only thing closer to femininity that you gonna get in these religions. At least their God got a mother. You know, y'all all own Mother Earth. Black folks, they, they say they from the motherland. And when that firmament crack up there, y'all all gonna see that mothership. You see, your patriarchal religion snatched the mother right on about them, them religions. This is Mama T. Islam is known to be one of the most popular religions in the world. But did you know there are two primary branches of the religion? While both branches agree on the general aspects of Islam and use the Quran as their holy book, they disagree on the identity of the Prophet Muhammad's true successor. The Sunni branch originated when the followers of the Prophet decided that the leaders of the Islamic religion should choose Muhammad's new heir. This idea was shunned by the Shias, who instead believed his successor should be from the same bloodline. His cousin Ali was chosen as the leader of this group. The Sunnis were instead led by a close friend of the late Prophet A man named Abu Bakr. Currently, there are about 1.6 billion Sunni Muslims in the world, and a little under 200 million Shia Muslims, with the vast majority of Shias living in Iran. Islam is known to be one of the most popular religions in the world, but did you know there are two primary branches of the religion? While both branches agree on the general aspects of Islam and use the Quran as their holy book, they disagree on the identity of the Prophet Muhammad's true successor. The Sunni branch originated when the followers of the Prophet decided that the leaders of the Islamic religion should choose Muhammad's new heir. This idea was shunned by the Shias, who instead believed his successor should be from the same bloodline. His cousin Ali was chosen as the leader of this group. The Sunnis were instead led by a close friend of the late Prophet A man named Abu Bakr. Currently, there are about 1.6 billion Sunni Muslims in the world, 
Okay. And a little under. What if I told you that you can get paid to watch YouTube videos and that you can do? Now it's possible that there are many civilizations out there, but the advanced civilizations choose to remain hidden. Sometimes called the dark forest hypothesis, the quarantine hypothesis. Let's imagine that civilizations, when they get technologically advanced, also get intellectually and morally advanced. Let's say they choose to remain hidden because they don't want to draw attention to themselves let's say it's inevitable that if you think about it carefully and you think there are other advanced civilizations out there then you choose to remain silent maybe it's like star trek maybe it's the prime directive animals who happen to look like us still thank the prime directives for this planet i don't think we have the right or the wisdom to interfere however a planet is evolving maybe it's morally certain that if you're sufficiently advanced you decide to take the position that you will never introduce yourself or interfere with another civilization. But it's a hypothesis. Now, it's possible that there are many civilizations out there, but the advanced civilizations choose to remain hidden. Sometimes called the dark forest hypothesis, the quarantine hypothesis. Let's imagine. Scientists discovered the secret of Stonehead Island, known as Rubber Nui. This island is a remote island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. The island has 887 statues that weigh about 50 tons. In the past, scientists believed that these statues were just heads. But in 2012, they discovered that these statues had buried bodies underground. The mystery that baffles scientists is how the ancient people who lived on this island, they moved all these statues through the ocean to the inside of the island, and how they had the technology from hundreds of years ago to move them. Scientists discovered the secret of Stonehead Island, them. known as Rubber. Off of the western tip of Cuba, in the early 2000s, they found these incredibly bizarre ruins at 2,000 feet underwater. So there were marine engineers hired by the Cuban government in the early 2000s to go search off of western Cuba using sonar to find shipwrecks and gas deposits. And what happened was they were surveying 2,000 feet underwater off of western tip of Cuba in this massive sandy plateau that was literally like miles and miles and miles long with no rocks or anything and they come across this set of structures that is 11 and a half by 11 and a half miles in all day the cuban geologist says that the only time that that part of the ocean could have been different enough geologically would have been 50,000 years ago just like edgar casey said about atlantis off of the western tip of cuba in the early 2000s they found these incredibly bizarre ruins i had the privilege of traveling across the channel scablands in washington state with randall and seeing things through his eyes really opened my eyes to the scale of this disaster you know you can look at these giant boulders called glacial erratics and they just look odd sitting there in the landscape but when you really consider how they got there that they got there in icebergs the size of oil tankers that were carried on floods that were at least 500 up to a thousand feet deep that were tearing through the channeled scablands literally ripping the landscape apart then the icebergs would ground on valley sides the flood waters would recede the icebergs would be left they're giant icebergs and as they melted away they revealed the rocks that they had enchained that were caught up within them and they're scattered all over the landscape and you look at that and you think anything that was underneath that 12,800 years ago is gone completely there can't be anything left of it at all utterly utterly destroyed I had the privilege of traveling across the Channel Scablands in Washington State with Randall and seeing things through his eyes really opened my eyes to the scale of this disaster. You know, you can look at these giant boulders called glacial erratics and they just look odd sitting there in the landscape. But when you really consider how they got there, that 
This is why I wasn't losing weight. I didn't pay. Insurance companies could put me out of business tomorrow by offering fair amount to people. Why waste time? Say lot word when few word do trick. Allstate, State Farm, Geico, Travelers, Farmers could say, hey, you know what? If someone is killed, we're going to give all of the money in the insurance policy. Hey, you know what? If someone has a permanent injury, we're going to make sure that we pay for their past medical bills, their future medical bills, and we're giving them a ton of money for pain and suffering because that's what's right. If that happened tomorrow, wouldn't exist. You know what has happened, though, with COVID? Allstate in particular here in Georgia has decided they're not going to settle any cases. They said there's a huge case backlog. Trials aren't happening. So you know what? We're not going to offer you shit. So insurance companies have gone the other direction. Look at property damage. 99% of the time, they're treating you really well with property damage. They just choose not to do that in the personal injury world. It's a choice by insurance companies. I am a need that the insurance company has created. I didn't choose to be here. I'm like fucking Neo. I give you the finger and you give me my phone call. Insurance companies could put me out of business tomorrow by offering fair amount to people. Why waste time? Say lot word when few word do tr- Man, Joe Biden just walked into my house, rounded up Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs, and crucified them. And I'm very sad about that because, like, there was a game this weekend. Man, Joe Biden just walked into my house, rounded up Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs, and crucified. There's something very, very different about these tones. There seems to be a weird energy in this temple. And as we go towards the center of the structure, the energy seems to increase. You can see the base here. There's a lot of tiny cylindrical stone statues. This is very odd. I've not seen this type of architecture. But yeah, this one rotates. This is unbelievable. Why is the saint who is in deep meditation designed to rotate? But is this the only rotating statue? See, this one also rotates. And this one also rotates. Actually, all these tiny statues rotate or they used to be rotatable in the past. There is something very, very different about these tones. There seems to be a weird energy in this temple. And as we go towards the center of the structure, the energy seems to increase. You can see the base here. There's a lot of tiny cylindrical stone statues. This, this powerful mantra can bring the dead back to life. There lived a sage and his wife in ancient India who were not able to conceive a child. After doing long and hard penance to Lord Shiva, they were blessed with a boy, but their happiness soon faded away as they found that the boy would die in his teenage. When the boy grew to the age of 16, his parents told him about his upcoming death and advised him to pray to Lord Shiva. Pleased with the boy's devotion, Lord Shiva appeared before him and gave him a very powerful mantra. By the correct chanting of this mantra, a person can avoid untimely death and attain health and longevity. This mantra is called the Mahamrityunjaya Mantra, and many scholars believe its correct pronunciation is still a mystery. Various scientific studies have shown that the chanting of mantras has powerful effects on the brain and energy centers of a person. That's why many people believe that this powerful mantra can bring the dead back to life. There lived a sage and his wife in ancient India who were not able to conceive a child. After doing long and hard penance to Lord Shiva, they were blessed with a boy, but their happiness soon faded away as they found that the boy would die in his teenage. When the boy grew to the age of 16, his parents told him about his upcoming death and advised him to pray to Lord Shiva. Pleased with the boy's devotion, 
Lord Shiva appeared before him and gave him a very powerful mantra. By the correct chanting of this mantra, a person can avoid untimely death and attain health and longevity. This mantra is called the Mahamrityunjaya Mantra, and many scholars believe its correct pronunciation is still a mystery. Various scientific studies have shown no living being should ever eat processed food for every single meal of their life. AG1 is so much more than a greens powder. In one single scoop, it delivers daily multivitamins, pre and probiotics. We have people coming into the country, trying to come in. We're stopping a lot of them. But we're taking people out of the country. You wouldn't believe how bad these people are. These aren't people, these are animals. We pledge to you that we will root out the communists, Marxists, fascists, and the radical left thugs that live like vermin within the confines of our country. No doubt any major political candidate using language like that, language that recalls Mussolini and Hitler, you would be disgusted by. And, and there are, look, there are conservative leaders all over the world. The conservative leader of the UK right now, there's a conservative leader in Italy, there's one in Greece. They, they don't sound anything like that. The only major Western leader who sounds like this is Donald Trump right here in the United States. And his language, calling his opponents, quote, vermin, is shocking. It's unfathomable. And it's anti-democratic. What's up, guys? Boston Brian here from the Midas Touch Network. And that was the epitome of the modern-day fascist leader in Donald Trump, followed by CNN's Jake Tapper finally calling this stuff out albeit very late to the game, representing what is the broader mainstream media's attempt to finally let the American people know that Donald Trump has been quoting Nazi propaganda, that he has been quoting Mein Kampf, and that he has been literally spewing the same stuff that Hitler himself would have been saying. And let me just say, the fact that it took an up-and-coming YouTube channel like Midas Touch to actually get this out there, to finally get the attention of the mainstream media, just blows my mind. And listen, by now I'm well aware that most of you have seen the videos of Donald Trump spewing this hateful rhetoric. Most of you have seen the tweets where they show line by line what Donald Trump said to the phrases that Hitler would have used in the 20s, 30s, and 40s. You've seen the posts on MidasTouch.com. You've, you've seen it. You've seen the words. Me being a World War II guy, I know and have the knowledge to pick out the videos that can actually show you the visuals to show you just how similar just how similar his rhetoric is and the stuff coming out of the GOP, Donald Trump's rallies, and Donald Trump's mouth himself to what was happening in the 20s, 30s, and 40s in Nazi Germany and all over Europe. What I want you to do in this video is I really want you to pay attention to the words that are being used, the language, the rhetoric, the phrases that he chooses to put in his speeches. It's remarkably similar. It is almost line by line, verbatim, what the Nazis would have said. I mean, this is no joke, folks. This is nothing to breeze by. This is nothing that you just read the headline and keep going on with your day, okay? We're talking about the same language, the same messaging, the same 
Nazi propaganda that in 1924 a man named Adolf Hitler in Landsberg prison used when dictating Mein Kampf to his buddy Rudolf Hess, the same exact rhetoric that led to the Holocaust. This should and needs to be talked about nonstop. It should be covered by every major news network on the planet, every little news network on the planet, every Democratic YouTube channel, everybody that has a voice, anybody that has a platform. This should be shouted from the rooftops and dissected. People should be asking who's writing the speeches directly, why this is talked about why these phrases are in his speeches people should be questioning donald trump right to his goddamn face why are you saying this do you know what this led to back in the day this is absolutely outrageous it is no coincidence we cannot have a leader of one of the major parties in this country literally quoting hitler literally quoting nazi propaganda word by fucking word but let's get to the clip so i can show you exactly what i'm talking about first off is a random clip from donald trump at one of his rallies now i've highlighted his language i've highlighted the words to make it a little easier i want you to pay close attention to the words that he uses and then we'll compare that to nazi propaganda from the 30s and 40s that lie and steal and cheat on elections and will do anything possible they'll do anything whether legally or illegally, to destroy America. We pledge to you that we will root out the communists, Marxists, fascists, and the radical left thugs that live like vermin within the confines of our country. And here is just a short clip from a Nazi propaganda film in the 40s that uses pretty much the same exact language that Donald Trump uses today. Ratten auf auftauchen, tragen Sie Vernichtung ins Land, zerstören Sie menschliche Güter und Nahrungsmittel. The really scary thing is that the goal of this language the purpose of this language is the same exact goal that was the goal of the Nazis, okay? The goal is to dehumanize, to get you to think that the other side is not human, they are subhuman, they are undimension, they can be controlled, they can be stepped on, and they can be defeated if you think that they are here to destroy your land, if they are here to, to take up your space, to take up your jobs. Crime rates going up, oh, you better protect your daughter, there's disease, there's vermin, there's rats coming across the border. This is the same exact messaging that you would have heard all over Nazi Germany, all over Europe, when they took over Europe in the 40s. And here's Donald Trump in a sit-down interview, just continuing to use the most disgraceful and degrading and dehumanizing language, this time against asylum seekers, trying to come to this country, seeking a better life, leaving just the most despicable conditions you could possibly think of. But if Donald Trump can convince you that there are disease-ridden terrorists coming across that border, then that might get you to act upon that, right? So in a way, it's stochastic terrorism. When he's telling you that you have a threat this bad at the border, that there are people of this type coming across the border, what would you do to save your country? And again, look at the similarities to the language used here and, and when we look at the next clip. We know they're terrorists. Uh, it's so bad, and people are coming in with disease. People are coming in with, with every possible thing that you could have and again let's compare that to a nazi propaganda film with the same message auf diese weise verbreiten sie krankheiten pest lepra typhus cholera ruhr und so weiter and once again the messaging is exactly the same this is meant to get you to believe that the other side is not worthy of human life they are dirty pests meant to be eradicated from whatever society they are found in is yet another clip of the decrepit orange fascist once again, going after asylum seekers and migrants coming to this country, talking about how they're massing in large groups, talking about caravans once again, talking about how this is an assault on our country, talking about how the people that are coming in are not good people. He wants you to believe, he wants his followers to believe that the people coming are bad people, terrible people that are just groomed to vote for the Democrat Party. What's happening right now as a large group of people, they call it a caravan. 
So as the caravan, and, and look, that is an assault on our country. That's an assault. And in that caravan, you have some very bad people. You have some very bad people. All right, so let's take what he said there, remember the language, and we'll compare that to one of the most well-known Nazi propaganda films called The Evige Jude or The Eternal Jew. Eine verblüffende Parallele zu dieser jüdischen Wanderung durch die ganze Welt bieten uns die Massenwanderungen eines ebenso ruhelosen Tieres, der Ratte. Sie sind hinterlistig, feige und grausam und treten meist in großen Scharen auf. Sie stellen unter den Tieren das Element der heimtückischen, unterirdischen Zerstörung dar. Nicht anders als die Juden unter den Menschen. I mean, are we starting to understand now that this is no accident, that this is very calculated, that Stephen Miller or whoever's writing his speeches now put these in there for a goddamn purpose and that Donald Trump absolutely has no problem saying this stuff because, as we remember, the story and the report goes that he used to have a bedside table book that was full of Hitler's speeches and that he used to look over that book. So he absolutely knows and he's absolutely aware of where these phrases come from and what the purpose behind them is. Next, this fascist bull of squash uses the tactic of making all his followers, all his loyal sick fans at the rally, take a pledge to take an oath to vote for Donald Trump when the election comes. Hey, what a fucking coincidence. Just so happens that pledges and oaths were really big back in Nazi Germany. Everybody here, who likes me in this room? Okay, I've never done this before. Can I have a pledge, a swearing? Raise your right hand. I do solemnly swear. I swear by God, he's in heilian eight. That I, no matter how I feel, that I am Führer of the no matter what the conditions, if there's hurricanes or whatever, unbedingt gehorsam lässt und als tapferer Soldat bereit sein will, mein Leben einzusetzen, will vote on or before the 12th für diesen Eid for Donald exact messaging that you would have heard all over Nazi Germany, all over Europe, when they took over Europe in the 40s. And here's Donald Trump in a sit-down interview, just continuing to use the most disgraceful and degrading and dehumanizing language, this time against asylum seekers, trying to come to this country, seeking a better life, leaving just the most despicable conditions you could possibly think of. But if Donald Trump can convince you that there are disease-ridden terrorists coming across that border, then that might get you to act upon that, right? So in a way, it's stochastic terrorism. When he's telling you that you have a threat this bad at the border, that there are people of this type coming across the border, what would you do to save your country? And again, look at the similarities to the language used here and, and when we look at the next clip. We know they're terrorists. Uh, it's so bad. And people are coming in with disease. People are coming in with, with every possible thing that you can have. And again, let's compare that to a Nazi propaganda film with the same message. Auf diese Weise verbreiten sie Krankheiten, Pest, Lepra, Typhus, Cholera, Ruhr und so weiter. And once again, the messaging is exactly the same. This is meant to get you to believe that the other side is not worthy of human life. They are dirty pests meant to be eradicated from whatever society they are found in. Here's yet another clip of the decrepit orange fascist. Once again, going after asylum seekers and migrants come to this country, talking about how they're massing in large groups, talking about caravans once again, talking about how this is an assault on our country, talking about how the people that are coming in are not good people. He wants you to believe, he wants his followers to believe that the people coming are bad people, terrible people that are just groomed to vote for the Democrat Party. What's happening right now as 
a large group of people. They call it a caravan. So as the caravan, and, and look, that is an assault on our country. That's an assault. And in that caravan, you have some very bad people. You have some very bad people. All right, so let's take what he said there, remember the language, and we'll compare that to one of the most well-known Nazi propaganda films called The Ewige Jude or The Eternal Jew. Eine verblüffende Parallele zu dieser jüdischen Wanderung durch die ganze Welt bieten uns die Massenwanderungen eines ebenso ruhelosen Tieres, der Ratte. Sie sind hinterlistig, feige und grausam und treten meist in großen Scharen auf. Sie stellen unter den Tieren das Element der heimtückischen unterirdischen Zerstörung dar, nicht anders als die Juden unter den Menschen. I mean, are we starting to understand now that this is no accident, that this is very calculated, that Stephen Miller or whoever's writing his speeches now put these in there for a goddamn purpose and that Donald Trump absolutely has no problem saying this stuff. Because, as we remember, the story and the report goes that he used to have a bedside table book that was full of Hitler's speeches and that he used to look over that book. So he absolutely knows and he's absolutely aware of where these phrases the story and the report goes that he used to have a bedside table book that was full of Hitler's speeches and that he used to look over that book. So he absolutely knows and he's because, as we remember, the story and the report goes that he used to have a bedside table book that was full of Hitler's speeches and that he used to look over that book. So he absolutely knows and he's absolutely aware of where these phrases come from and what the purpose behind them is. Next is fascist bull of squash uses the tactic of making all his followers, all his loyal sick fans at the rally take a pledge to take an oath to vote for Donald Trump when the election comes. Hey, what a fucking coincidence. Just so happens that pledges and oaths were really big back in Nazi Germany. Everybody here, who likes me in this room? Okay, I've never done this before. Can I have a pledge, a swearing? Raise your right hand. I do solemnly swear. I swear by God, he's in Heidi and that I, no matter how I feel, that I stand for no matter what the conditions, if there's hurricanes or whatever, unbedingt gehorsam lässt und als tapferer Soldat bereit sein will, mein Leben einzusetzen, will vote on or before the 12th für diesen Eid for Donald J. Trump for president. That's good enough. You all raised your hand. You swore bad things happen if you don't live up to what you just did. You can call me crazy. You can call me a socialist. You can even call me a communist. But what you can't call and tell me is that it's ever a good thing for your fucking beliefs to line up with Nazi Germany this many times. To have it be this similar. To take the propaganda from the 30s and 40s and take it and use it in 2023 in the United States of America. This next clip, in my opinion, has to be the most egregious. I mean, when you have the ex-former disgraced president of the United States of America, the ex-leader of the free world, the current Republican frontrunner to become nominee for president of the United States again in 2024, directly quoting Mein Kampf, probably never a good thing. It is a very sad thing for our country. Uh, it's poisoning the blood of our country. I'm just going to go out on a limb here and assume that poisoning the blood of our country isn't in Donald Trump's regular vocabulary. I mean, this is the same guy that told us there were airports in the Civil War and that dead whales are washing up all over the place because of windmills. So one can assume... 
that this is not how Donald Trump speaks on a day-to-day basis when he's not in front of a camera. But I'm not here to just talk about this and create a headline and then brush past it. I want to really do a deep dive. I want to really show you we're poisoning the blood of our country and phrases like that came from. Here is an excerpt directly from Mein Kampf that uses the same exact language that talks about defiling blood the same way that Donald Trump uses it today. And again, pay attention to the language. Pay attention to the to the rhetoric that comes out of these words. It's very specific. It's very calculated. It's very purposeful. With satanic joy in his face, the black-haired Jewish youth lurks in wait for the unsuspecting girl whom he defiles with his blood, thus stealing her from her people. With every means, he tries to destroy the racial foundations of the people he has set out to subjugate, just as he himself systematically ruins women and girls. He does not shrink back from pulling down the blood barriers for others, even on a large scale. It was and is the Jews who brings the Negroes into the Rhineland, always with the same secret thought and clear aim of ruining the hated white race by necessarily resulting to bastardization, throwing it down from its cultural and political height and himself rising to be its master. For a racially pure people which is conscious of its blood can never be enslaved by the Jew. In this world he will be forever the master over bastards and bastards alone. And so he tries systematically to lower the racial level by a continuous poisoning of individuals. Around people who offer too violent a resistance to attack from within, he weaves a net of enemies, thanks to his international influence, incites them to war, and finally, if necessary, plants a flag of revolution on the very battlefields. In economics, he undermines the states until the social enterprises which have become unprofitable are taken from the state and subjugated to his financial control. In the political field, it refuses the state the means for its self-preservation, destroys the foundations of all nation, self-maintenance and defense, destroys faith in the leadership, scoffs at its history and past, and drags everything that is truly great into the gutter. Culturally, he contaminates art, literature, the theater, makes a mockery of natural feeling, overthrows all concepts of beauty and sublimity and the noble and the good, and instead drags men down into the sphere of his own base nature. Religion is ridiculed, ethics and morality represented as outmoded until the last props of a nation in its struggle for existence in this world have fallen. And even though, as you just heard, this book is a hodgepodge, an unreadable mess that contains more racist, bigoted, anti-Semitic rhetoric than I've ever heard in any other spot in my life, seems as though that Donald Trump and his team, Stephen Miller and the rest of them, have found this to be some sort of Bible, some sort of playbook that they're using to run their campaign for 2024. And here's just the latest attempt from illiterate Mussolini to weaponize and plagiarize German propaganda to suit his own needs when he comes out with the phrase stab in the back. Now, after the clip, we'll go over what the stab in the back theory really means and the anti-Semitic roots that it came from. Cookie Joe is doing the bidding of Wall Street, of foreign countries, and of everyone else who owns him. But he's stabbing auto workers, manufacturing workers, and American families in the back. And I understand most people wouldn't even notice that, and on its face and by itself probably wouldn't even be a big deal. But add that in with all the other examples I've shown you in this video, and this is absolutely no coincidence. Here's a short, clear, and concise explanation of what the stab in the back theory really means and where it came from, and why Donald Trump is probably using it. The basic stab in the back theory stated that the German military was not responsible for the loss of World War I because uprisings and betrayals at the home front caused the German government to surrender while the war was still winnable, or at least before the army was defeated. It is an early example of a conspiracy theory that is believed because it is more comfortable to do so than to accept the pitiless reality. Like those other theories, everything surrounding the stab in the back theory is circumstantial, highly debatable, belied by actual evidence, and based on stereotypes of standard enemies and outsiders in the dominant culture. The Dolchstoss theory, or Dolchstoss legendia as the Germans call the stab in the back theory, 
became a central feature of Third Reich propaganda with increasing anti-Semitic overtones. It also was a way to stiffen resentment of communism, blamed along with the Jews for the uprising. Let's just take a look at the similarities and the parallels for one second here. Both sides have a big defeat, okay? The German army in World War I, Donald Trump in 2020. Both sides think that they won this thing. Both sides think that it was something on the home front and something behind the scenes that caused them to lose this battle. Both the German army after World War I and Donald Trump in 2020 believe it was globalist, socialist, and communist behind the scenes that was sabotaging their effort. And it wasn't just the fact that they got their ass kicked. Here he is once again copying, using the language of, using the style and the phrases of people like Adolf Hitler and Joseph Goebbels. Whichever one of Donald Trump's Hitler-loving fascist minions behind the scenes came up with this one people, one nation, one family thing, knew exactly what the hell they were doing and 100% copied it from Germany's Ein Volk, Ein Reich, Ein Führer. And you can bet your ass on that and take that right to the bank. We are one people, one family. And one glorious nation under God. Loop is a smart digital frame that connects your family. Am I making my case yet? I mean, everybody thought in 2015 when I said this exact thing was going to happen, that I was being hyperbolic, that I was crazy, there's no way that was going to happen, and now I'm sitting here making a video about the ex-president of the United States using Adolf Hitler's words, using phrases out of Mein Kampf, using Nazi propaganda against us in 2023. And what might be the sickest part of it all is that when questioned, the Trump campaign, and Stephen Chung in particular, came out with this response. Now, the Washington Post reached out to the Trump campaign to get a response to how his language, this vermin terminology, echoes that of previous dictators like Mussolini and Hitler. A spokesman for Mr. Trump said, quote, those who try to make that ridiculous assertion are clearly snowflakes grasping for anything because they are suffering from Trump derangement syndrome and their entire existence will be crushed when President Trump returns to the White House, unquote. What better way to prove you do not have authoritarian instincts than by promising your critics entire existence will be crushed? Now, I know the likelihood of Stephen Chung seeing this video is slim to none, but if you were to watch this and then look at all the comparisons that I just made and then go ahead and tell me that there's absolutely no parallels to the two, I'd say he's probably qualified to work for the Trump campaign. And last but not least, here is a short montage of fascist, authoritarian, wannabe dictator Donald Trump saying the quiet pot out loud, telling you exactly what his plans are to ruin democracy, exactly what his plans are to turn this into a dictatorship, and we better listen up. Where there is a true and total breakdown of law and order, then the federal can and should send the National Guard to restore order and secure the peace without having to wait for the approval of some governor. I will immediately reissue my 2020 executive order restoring the president's authority to remove rogue bureaucrats, and I will wield that power very aggressively. So on day one of my new administration, I will direct the DOJ to investigate every radical DA and attorney general in America for their illegal, racist, in reverse enforcement of the law. We will carry out the largest domestic deportation operation in American history. I will invoke the Alien Enemies Act 
to remove all known and suspected gang members, drug dealers, or cartel members from the United States. And if you're president again, will you lock people up? Uh, the answer is you have no choice because they're doing it to us. If I happen to be president and I see somebody who's doing well and beating me very badly, I say, go down and indict them. Mostly, that would be, you know, they would be out of business. They'd be out. They'd be out of the election. This is what we're up against, folks. This is what we're fighting. In 2023, full fascism from the GOP. We need to stay focused. We need to stay vigilant. We need to continue to call this out. We need to continue to make people aware that might not be as politically involved. This is not a joke anymore. This is real. It could not be any more real. I didn't think I'd ever be in this position but I'll be damned if I'm going to go down without a fight. And none of this is possible. There's no way that we can win without the help of you beautiful people, without the help of the Midas Mighty. So we thank you for being here. Make sure you hit the like button. Make sure you subscribe. And we're on our way to 2 million subscribers here at Midas Touch. You can also help us create this content. You can also check us out at patreon.com slash Midas Touch. And if you'd like to help me out personally to create content like this, to help me with all the work that goes into these things, to help you guys to get the information out into the airwaves, go to patreon.com slash Boston Brian greatly appreciate it until the next time keep kicking ass keep fighting keep calling this shit out i'm boston brian have a great night at midas touch we are unapologetically pro-democracy and we demand justice and Crush tissue. Okay. Give Lord to us about Jesus. They knew Jesus Christ's true teachings found in lost texts. It's not what you think. When is a thyroid condition not fixable? Check us out. Um, they lied to us about Jesus. When is a thyroid friend. condition not fixable? Weight gain despite diet or exercise. Thousands of years before them, an advanced race lived on this planet, built an Atlantean global civilization, probably Atlantean interplanetary civilization, that had capability of space flight and everything else, and that they most likely genetically modified the existing hominids, which then became Homo sapiens sapien, in order to put us all in slavery and make us do the workload for them. If we, if they knew that, those stories and those tales from the Sumerian tablets, the Mahabharata, the Bhagavad Gita, the Indian Vedas, the Tibetan Book of the Dead, the Egyptian Book of Going Forth by Day, aka the Egyptian Book of the Dead, uh, you know. The Enuma Elish and the Seven Tablets of Creation, the Epic of Atrahasis, and if all the, if they, the myth of Adapa, if I do it, all these texts predominantly made up the majority of the Bible, mm -hmm. we would be like, well, what are you guys preaching to us? This is all fake, this is all lies. And we know that in the Emerald Tablets, you know, which have book companion with the Emerald Tablets, that the majority of Jesus' teachings in the New Testament come directly from the Emerald Tablets of Thoth, which are 36, 38,000 year old teachings. I'd like to welcome back to the show, returning champion, Billy Carson. How you doing, Billy? Hey.
Great. Look, great to be back. Thank you for having me back on your amazing show. Thank you so much for coming back, brother. I mean, our last conversation uh, broke over a million. I think it's at 1.2 million right now. So people wow. like you and I having a conversation. So I think that's a, we. I think we booked this before that. We were just like, like I mean, we, we gotta keep talking. Uh, but yeah. then it, it kind of blew up, man. So uh, people are excited. This is really great. We're getting this information out there. Yes, listen. That's the most important thing that people begin to hear this information. So that they can become researchers on their own and also digest it, discern it, and decide, you know, for themselves, based on the information given, you know, how do they feel about it? How does it make them feel and and uh, and what enlightenment can they get out of it? So this is great, man. So since last our conver- since last time we had our conversation, I had the wonderful opportunity to fly over to Europe and spend a little time in Italy. Uh, so mm-hmm. too much gelato first of all, and way too much cappuccino and and uh, all sorts of deliciousness over there. But while I was there, I took the opportunity to visit the Vatican and Vatican City. And it was a really eye-opening experience because uh, I went to Vatican Museum, which is... <clears throat> awe-inspiring is not even the word to use it was there's so much stuff that they have in that museum it's for people if you've never been there i'm sure i'm assuming you have there's so many sculptures that they have that they literally just pile them next to like it's like room after room of them they're just next to each other like normally like one of those pieces would be the centerpiece of another museum right right yeah yeah they have an embarrassment of riches and that's the words i was embarrassment of riches uh, you're going there like, oh, the yeah. Raphael did that, and oh, Donatello did that, oh, Michelangelo did that dome, and you're mm-hmm. like, and then you get to the Sistine Chapel. I was exhausted by the time I got to the Sistine Chapel. I was just like, what? Was oh, nice, because <laughs> it's so much. It's it 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 is. It, it started to open my eyes right away. I'm like, wow, how do these, how did they get all of this stuff? And it's not just all like Christian stuff, Egyptian, yeah, um, things from Mesopotamia. Um, I, I mean, it's insane. And then you walk into St. Peter's Basilica, and you're just in awe. That's the biggest church I've yeah. ever been in. And it's just like every corner, you just think, and every corner there's like masterpieces from every, like mm-hmm. Michelangelo, Donatello, all these people. And, you know, oh, there's the, there's the La Pietra, and you're looking at all that stuff. And I don't know if you've had this opportunity. Did you go underground into the uh, catacombs? No, I didn't do the catacombs there. I did the catacombs in uh, Alexandria, but I didn't do the catacombs in Rome. So, the, so the, catac- no, the catacombs in St. Peter's is where all the, where all the popes are? Yeah. So I went, I went down to that area, and all the popes are there, and I turned a corner, yeah. and it's St. Peter's resting space. <laughs> like, it's the apostles. Yeah, crazy. Apostle Peter. It was insane. So as I was going through all of this, the main thing I, I thought myself was, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, is that this has little to do with Jesus. This entire oh, this entire thing has such little to do with Jesus' teachings, Jesus Christ the yeah. man, and has so much to do about their own power, their own influence, and maintaining yeah. that power and, and influence right. over the world. What are your thoughts on that? We're giving away free Donald Trump gold bars. Folks, we're doing a special Black Friday sale, and for today only, 
We are giving away these beautiful Donald Trump gold bars to anyone who wants one. All you have to pay is the shipping. Sleepy Joe and his followers are going to hate us for this, but we don't care. This next election is the most important election in the history of this nation, which is why we decided to do this flash sale. We're giving them away until we run out. So show your love and support for this country and get yours now. This free giveaway won't last long because people are ordering these by the minute. On the next page, thousands of people are ordering their gold bars. And once we run out, we are out for good. So order yours now while you still can. Thank you and have a blessed day. Don't miss this fantastic deal on Ahoy Ford Fridge Calendar. Only 89 cents with free shipping on Tamu. This versatile calendar keeps your schedule at your fingertips. Shop now on Tamu and transform your fridge into a command center. Oh, you hit it on the head. So, you know, the Catholic religion has literally nothing to do with truthfully uh, achieving a higher sense of consciousness or Christ consciousness. It's really all about them. And even like, for example, the Pope or the priest of the Catholic Church, wherever you are in the world, that's supposed to be the conduit. That's supposed to be God walking in the flesh. Mm -hmm. uh, now, we know that we are all gods and God is us, but they take it to another level where they truly, truthfully believe that they're the actual creator of the universe walking around. Uh, in, a, in, in a mindset of domination, not collaboration. And so that's where it goes really south. And then a lot of their rules and laws and their uh, their traditions are just uh, all about, you know, generating revenue and money. Uh, for example, you know, you, you go in and you, you admit that you did something wrong. And now they're going, well, you got to pay a penance to this. And you pay, these, you pay this penance and that's supposed to, you know, rid you of your sin. So from the mindset that they've established is, oh, I can go out here, I can drink, I can hang out, I can, I can have sex with anybody I want outside of marriage, I can violate all the rules of quote-unquote Christianity, as long as I come in here and, and talk to this guy behind this invisible box, and then I can just uh, and give, pay some money, and all of my sins will be absolved, and I'm good to go and do it all over again. So I can do this once a week, so now I don't have to answer for any of my consequences. I can literally run rough and ragged, I can run, you know, like this wild, wild west on the streets, and then I can curse people out, whatever I want, and I can just go and, and talk to this guy. So they've uh, created a system where they generate revenue and money off of beguiling people into thinking that they can actually absolve themselves of their own responsibility of their own actions by paying just extra money out, just admitting something to somebody behind a box. You want to, in another example was I was in uh, Naples, and I went to the catacombs in Naples, one of the catacombs yeah. there, and I was talking to the guide, and I go, well, who won't, like, what is this? Like, who owns this? And like, oh, anything Christian found in Italy is automatically property of the Vatican. If it, they just yep. discovered it, it's automatic if it's property. Yep. So when they found it, and this is so interesting, when they found it, um, they called up the Vatican, like, hey, we found these catacombs. Uh, you know, we want to kind of open it up to the public and let people tour. And they're like, yeah, 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 sure. Do whatever you want. That's fine. You know, no problem. 
And then a couple of years later, the Vatican's like, oh, they're making some money. So then they went back to him. This is straight from the, <laughs> straight from the guide. He goes, yeah, the Vatican, now we have to pay. Because, oh, by the way, all the money that is made from the catacombs tickets goes into social programs for the city of Naples, meaning after school programs, uh, arts, things for schools and kids and, and, and social programs. So it's for everybody to know. Um, once the Vatican found out it needed money, they go, oh, okay, uh, since it's making money now, you need to pay us $3 million a year as a license and 50% of all ticket sales. Mm -hmm. and, and I was just like, are you, are you, are you kidding? Yeah. And then when you walk around Vatican City, you're just like, there's literally gold on the walls. Are, are, are you? Mm -hmm. Nothing to do with Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> it's insane. It's insane. You see, the Vatican is it's its own private kingdom. Yeah, it's a, it's a country. It's a country. Such, can, yeah, exactly. They create their own rules and regulations on the fly, and they can change a law or a rule tomorrow or in five minutes, and then everyone will have to abide by that. Mm -hmm. And you know what's funny? I got into yeah. a cab in uh from vatican city going back to to uh to the to where we were staying and the the taxi driver who's a local he we started talking about the vatican and boy he did he just started tearing them apart they're like you they we have to pay as italian citizens we have to pay them every year even though we don't live in vatican city uh you've got to like they get they pay no taxes they basically still control italy yeah. by behind the scenes there's, there's absolute power behind the scenes yeah. they're like there was a a girl that went missing in vatican city the parent the family was still trying to find them but once you're, once you're there it's gone you're you're just gone it was a, it was fascinating how much power that that place has and let's not even talk about and i'd love to hear your thoughts on this the archives the archives okay. were the books the knowledge that they have raped and pillaged for centuries from Alexandria, either before or after it was, you know, going through its thing and all the libraries, what do you, what have you learned about what is in the archives? In the archives at the Vatican, first of all, it's about five miles of archives underground mm -hmm. and, and very, very uh, secure access. In other words, you can't just go, oh, I'm going to go check out the archives underground. No, you have to be a, a, a security cleared, almost top secret cleared based on their standards to get down there. Uh, but they have in there so many incredible discoveries, so much knowledge and wisdom that have been stolen, literally stolen from all around the world. And of course, the Library of Alexandria, that was a book heist. The fire was a distraction. Hmm. The real story of Alexandria, it was a book heist. It was a knowledge theft. They stole the knowledge. They left a few books burning here and then they burned it down to the ground. But the vast majority of the knowledge and wisdom stored at Alexandria was siphoned off and taken to that underground, I call it an underground base at the Vatican. Down there also, according to even some Jesuits, are bones of actual, quote-unquote, alien beings, uh, information about uh, advanced beings that visited this planet, the Anunnaki, according to the Dogon, the Nomo, and the Sumerians, call them the Pantheon, call them the, the, the Anunnaki Pantheon out of Samaria, they call them Nitiru out of Africa. They had they have all these relics and artifacts of these particular people, even out of Greece. Uh, they have all this down there. They have information even out of Iraq that shows and proves that advanced races had lived on this planet long before 
this current civilization here exists. And we're talking about eons and eons ago, super highly advanced with technologies and capabilities of flight and everything else, weapons of war that existed. All that information is stored underneath the Vatican archives, along with some of the most incredible texts and books and inventions that ever existed on this planet. And they siphon it away and they're hoarding all of that wisdom and knowledge so that they can keep control and power and domination over the world. And guess what? It's working. So that's that was the, that was my next question. The reasoning for all this is if you control the information, you control the knowledge. There can't exactly. be if 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 the public is ignorant, it's much more mm -hmm. controllable. Yes, you know if the public knew that long before uh, Jesus, long before Moses, and all these people, you know, supposedly were even born or existed, that thousands of years before them, an advanced race lived on this planet built an Atlantean global civilization, probably Atlantean interplanetary civilization that had capability of space flight and everything else, and that they most likely genetically modified the existing hominids, which then became Homo sapiens sapiens, in order to put us all in slavery and make us do the workload for them. If, we, if they knew that, those stories and those tales from the Sumerian tablets, the Mahabharata, the Bhagavad Gita, the Indian Vedas, Tibetan Book of the Dead, the Egyptian Book of Going Forth by Day, a.k.a. the Egyptian Book of the Dead, uh, you know, the Enuma Elish and the Seven Tablets of Creation, the Epic of Atra Hasis, and all the, if they, the myth of Adapa, if they knew all these texts predominantly made up the majority of the Bible, mm -hmm. then we would be like, well, what are you guys preaching to us? This is all fake. This is all lies. And we know that in the Emerald Tablets, you know, which my book companion with the Emerald Tablets, mm -hmm. that the majority of Jesus' teachings in the New Testament come directly from the Emerald Tablets of Thoth, which are 36, 38,000 year old teachings. So they must control and hide and secure evidence of this information and this knowledge to keep people basically in this uh, level of ignorance where they can continue to control them and steal their money. Well, isn't the, if you know what, and this is the weirdest thing, while I was driving around, you know, I went to Rome, I, I was staying in Rome when I went to Vatican City, and then I was down the street from the Colosseum, and I got to see the Colosseum, and you see Roman, Rome is everywhere, like Rome, 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 every stuff all over the place. And man, I, I don't want to sound ignorant, man, but it was a first time when I went to Vatican City and I connected it to Rome, I was like, wait a minute, Roman Catholic Church. I never connected Roman, as in like the Rome Empire, to Catholicism. Yeah. Even though it's always been called the Roman Catholic Church, I just never connected it. And that was the first time I'm like, oh my God, that's right, Constantine. Oh my God, that he's the one that created mm -hmm. the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD. And, and yeah. they're the ones that sat down and like, okay, let's argue about what really Jesus is and so they basically built up the mythology in the Council of Nicaea, right? Yes. The Council of Nicaea came together, built up the mythology. They added to the story. They took from a lot of ancient texts and tablets, and then they kind of curated this book, which they want to call it a canonized Bible, right? So they took right. from here, took from there, this tablet, that tablet, this scripture, that papyrus, this non-commodity piece. We like, we, oh, we like this coming out of, out of this um, text over here. And then they kind of just culminated together and then remixed it, put their own spin on it to make sure that slavery was approved and okay, right? Mm -hmm. Well, we want to add that in there. Got to make sure the slavery is approved, you know, because mm -hmm. people were enslaving each other since back and before the black slaves. I'm talking about in the ancient times, slaves were already going on. Slavery was already Egypt, going on. Yeah. Sure, it was, yeah. It's nothing new. Yeah. And then so you had that. And then, of course, we want to collect a lot of money. So they have to pay us. We got to make sure we got the money. You got to pay 
You know what I'm saying? And you got to do the labor and you got to bring the offerings because we're our, we ourselves are not going to go out and hunt and, and, and grow farms and everything else. So you guys, you're going to have to bring these offerings to us. We want it already cooked, so make sure it's a burnt offering. <laughs> make sure you drain the blood. Make sure it's healthy for us. And bring us your fresh, your first harvest because we want the freshest fruit and the freshest vegetables. We don't want the stale stuff. We want your freshest wheat and the freshest breads. And so people would come down and bring everything to the church and give it all away along with whatever money they had left. Uh, and these people would live like fat cats, literally, off of pimping the knowledge and understanding of what's going on and tricking people into believing that they had some access to divine power and knowledge when they were just really uh, high-level pimps, is what I call them, man. And the people, you know, the ignorance of the people, you know, you almost can't blame them, but yet at the same time, it's like, how can, you, how can so many masses of people stand up and fall for this? But, I, you know, it happens. But also, you got to remember, the way that they went around, the way that the Council of Nicaea put this in place with Rome, and Rome said, we're now going to dominate the planet with this religion. So they combined their beliefs with the Christianity, right? Because they felt like to keeping it separate was creating too much, uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, ang anger between the two sides, and everybody wanted to go head to head. So you know what? We're going to combine it. We'll add our stuff in with their stuff, and we'll make it a a national religion. Well, yeah, now, they were getting, as we were taking over, well, they were getting a ruling. And Constancy said, "Look, I'll, I'll be Christian. Really I'll, I'll be Christian. I'll be Christian. Let's, yeah. let's all do this, guys. I'll be Christian. Let's go over here. We'll, we'll put a pope yeah. up. The pope he talks to God every day. Yeah. The bishops they talk to right. God every few days. Uh, the the cardinals they talk to him like maybe once a month, twice a month. And the priests right. talk to them every once in a while. But this is it's, yeah. it's an ordered thing. But no, but we're with you guys because they were getting the Christians were starting to get a little out of hand. So they needed to control them. Yeah." They need to control. So, you know, if you can't beat them, join them. That's the mindset, right? <laughs> we'll add some of our stuff in with theirs. We'll mix it all around. We'll remix it. But now, here's the trick. As Rome is on its global escapade trying to dominate and take over the planet, everywhere they went, they would then instill and install this Christianity, this Catholic Christianity in those areas. But this is how they did it. People believe that Christianity was spread by love and the good news and, and, and no. It was spread by rape, bloodshed, murdering, and killing. And so when they came to your town, they literally would take your women and your children. They would, you know, they would take the leader of that village or whatever. They would show, hey, you guys are going to bow down to us. You're going to follow this religion. You're going to speak our language. And they'll make an example out of somebody, and then everybody else would follow suit. And if they didn't, then they would say, okay, we're going to give you a lot of these torture devices. They would have the Pope's spear, all right, which is still in the museums right now. Mm -hmm. Which they stick that into a woman's personal parts, mm -hmm. and it would explode mm -hmm. on the inside of her. They would have this triangular pyramid with a spiral on top, and it would reel a man up and down, and let it go up into his back door over and over again until he died. Uh, they had all these torture mechanisms. They tortured and killed over eighty million people over the course of seven hundred years under the uh, under the order of the popes, in order to spread love and peace and Christianity. Yes all around the planet and so but this is you know again all with the authority of rome so this global conquest to spread this and collect money uh was all done by bloodshed and, and torture not by love and peace so just as jesus says love thy neighbor and do unto others as you don't do unto you but make sure that you bring a check cash or venmo <laughs> exactly. I, mean, I don't remember jesus saying these things um no <laughs> 
and 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 it's it's fascinating you know like you you see all of this when you walk into by the way i, I don't know how many churches you i walked into probably 30 churches because they're everywhere in italy like you can't every turn everywhere you turn any, like there's a there's a huge church and then like a two blocks later there's another church and it's like there are churches everywhere and every single church I walked into, no matter how rinky dink it looked from the outside, you walk in, masterpieces on the wall, on the ceilings, yeah. scrub. It was no matter where you went, it was nothing like here in the states. Here you walk into some churches and they're very humble and they're very. There is no such thing as a humble church in Italy. It was no. just. So as you as an, an ignorant person from the field or from the country and you walk into St. Peter's Basilica and you don't understand anything, mm -hmm. you have to believe God is here because it's just something mm -hmm. so, so just, it's so, it's, it, it's so grand, so grand. And, I, you know, I, I consider myself a fairly educated person and I walked in and I, you're just in awe. You're in awe of it. So I could say, wow, if, if, if I didn't know better. I, you could easily fall into this. I mean, it's, it's yes. And then let's not talk about the marketing campaign of hiring every great master artist of the last 500 yeah. years and commission <laughs> religious, you know, I mean, yeah. that's why every time you go into a museum, it's always a real, generally speaking, always Jesus or some sort of religious depiction because the Vatican paid for all of that. Right. Am I right? Exactly. Oh, absolutely. You know, even the depiction of Jesus, was switched over to the face that became the global popular face. That was actually Caesar Borgia, who was actually uh, one of the sons of an actual pope uh, and killed his own brother to try to take his place. Uh, this guy was just an evil, brutal, killing ruler. Uh, his father commissioned uh, the artist to paint him, his image, as the image of Jesus. And that image still propagates the planet till this very day. So the image that a lot of people are praying to it's not the Jesus that they think it is, but actually a natural born killer. <laughs> <laughs> and it is in, that's true because I mean, it is, it was just propaganda. That was the propaganda yeah. of the day were these master, master works of paintings and, and, yeah. you know, frescoes and things like that. That was the propaganda of the day. That was the mm -hmm. art. Of, that's all the only way they could get messages like this out there. So because of yeah. this one artist, um, you have these images, but generally speaking, if you go back far enough, I mean, Jesus didn't, wasn't a white guy with blue eyes. That doesn't no, make it, no. it, 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 he just wasn't, right? Yeah, he wasn't a white guy with blue eyes. If you read the description, he had bronze feet and, and he had curly, tight curly hair. I mean, so clearly you're talking about somebody that looks like they come from that region, which really is the northern tip of Africa, AKA Arabia in that region. And I've been there, of course, now dozens of times. I mean, all those people, the people who are homegrown, they all look the same. Matter of fact, when I go there, they go, you my brother, you my brother. <laughs> you know? I say they want to sell me something. Of course, I'm your brother. Oh, now, but, oh yeah, but the of point, course. Of course. <laughs> but the, point, <laughs> the point is, you get it. I mean, obviously, it wasn't a white guy with blonde hair and blue eyes. But that's the depiction that took hold and took root and has been burnt into the minds. What a great marketing campaign. I mean, you want to talk about applied neuroscience. That, that image is burnt into the brains of people before they're even conceived. When they come out of the womb, they're looking for that image. So they did a great marketing and propaganda campaign with that image. They burnt it into the brains of people so deeply it's embedded in our DNA. Well, I mean, it's, I mean, look at Santa Claus. 
I mean, the mm -hmm. image of Santa Claus was this, it basically a marketing campaign from Coca-Cola. And that's the Santa Claus we all know and love. You know, that's the image that, you know, the jolly yeah. old man with the white, you know, the, with the, with the big white beard. And that was just an image created by Coca-Cola. Am I, am I wrong with that? But that's, but that's now propagated. So now that is the image of quote unquote, Saint Nick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It started off in the, in actually in the UK with a gentleman and then Coca-Cola kind of adopted it and then enhanced it to what they're liking the way they wanted it to be a chubby guy it was personally a skinny guy but it, they adopted it they enhanced it to what they wanted it to be but it took hold again like you said it's great it's great uh marketing great propaganda subliminal information subliminal messages and teachings and it, it just gets birthed into the into the genome and it passes on from generation to generation same thing happened with this jesus figure his name isn't even jesus his name was yeshua, yeshua. Okay. yeshua yeah. yeah yeah that's the actual name and so, but again, Jesus, the J is a new letter. It didn't even exist until recently. I mean, you know, so we're talking about, okay, what is really the name? Isus. When you look into the root word of that and you go back into some of the ancient tongues, you find out it's Hail Zeus. So people that are calling on the name of Jesus all the time, they're calling for help from Zeus, which is actually a converted name from the Sumerian pantheon. So they're calling on Enlil is what they're calling calling on they're not calling on any son of the creator of the universe and this is why a lot of prayers don't actually work people don't understand the power of speech and then calling on names and, and the cymatic frequencies they create then when you're completely ignorant to what's what you're really saying it's no wonder why billions of prayers go up every single day all around the world but then again look at the state of the world on a daily basis you can clearly see that uh, if somebody has a positive outcome, more than likely it's just luck. You know, and I know this conversation will probably be upsetting to some. And, and look, you know, I'm a recovering Catholic. I've said I've been a recovering Catholic for quite some time. So I, I lived and breathed this, went to Catholic school, had the nuns, the whole ball of wax. Um, and I just hope that this conversation just sparks an interest to investigate it for yourself. Nothing that we're saying here is not investigatable on their own, on your own. And you can go out and look. Yep. And, and and read i mean just go even go to wikipedia for god's sakes you just read about the, the the council of nicaea i mean you just start reading it on wikipedia which isn't the perfect you know research thing but still basics and then you're like oh wait a minute this, this is really what happened like this is oh so you know it was a, oh so the bible is not god's word it was a bunch of dudes that got together and left out stuff like the book of enoch left out other things because yes. it didn't kind of work in there. The concept of reincarnation were left out because that doesn't work. Cause if you think you can come back, I really yep. can't control you as easily, you know, yep. all these little ideas, but you just have to do your own research. I hope this sparks a little bit of, of uh, interest for people. to. And, do and I want to add one thing to this before we go on too. I want people to understand I'm not an atheist. I believe in a creator of the universe. Yeah. Because the quantum physics proves that we're living inside of a creation. There's no way to dispute that. There's no way to doubt it. We're living in a programmed uh, holographic light matrix. That is a method of use for this creation, but we are in this. It's created by an entity and believe that there is a God. I don't, I, I'm, I'm not, I just believe that the biblical version is not specifically talking about the creator of the universe. I believe those are the words of men about men that have manipulated it to be God. And actually, the word God in the Bible is mistranslated by accident on purpose. The original root word for that is God's with an S. And everywhere where you see God singular, 
is actually supposed to have an S on the end. So there's so much going on. There's been tainted so much by man, uh, you know, but, but I do believe that there is a God. But again, you have to research everything that you believe in, especially if you're looking for this information to carry you into eternity. You should know every little tiny detail about it. You shouldn't just take it point in fact from somebody standing at a pulpit. You should be an expert on it yourself. After right. all, it is your own eternity. Right, obviously. Um, and, and then also, the, you know, the problem that a lot of people have with just what you just said is that, like, well, my parents told me. And that nice gentleman who's my priest told me. And, you know, my whole family. Go, yeah. Listen, at the end of the day, investigate for yourself and what makes what connects you better to to the creator. If going to church every day with, you, with a community to pray to a creator that works for you, God bless. It's not hurting anybody else. Hey man, do do you? But if you are interested a little bit in these ideas, try to investigate them yourself because it might not be pleasant. It wasn't for me when I first started going down these roads. I mean, when I was in my twenties, I started reading. You know, when I started reading Indian philosophies and um, just going around the world and just started listening to other religions, I'm like, well, they all can't be right and they all can't be wrong. Like there has to be something here. And that's started the journey where I'm at today. But I hope that people yeah. um, take that, that we're not just bashing the Catholic church, though it is bashable um, for a lot of the, the horrors that it has done in, in, in its existence. Um, I just want you to kind of realize what ha is really going on and shows like this and this information, the work you're doing, the work I'm doing is putting this information out there. So people could just start going, and we're, by the way, we're not starting a revolution. People are leaving the church in droves. I mean, the whole priest thing with the abuse. And I mean, it, they have a problem. And I don't think in, I don't know. I don't know. Do you think they'll be around in two, 300 years? You know, is it? it, it I seriously doubt it. No, no, they're, they're not. They can't be. Listen, there's too much. They've paid billions of dollars in settlements, billions in settlements for uh, pedophilia and mm -hmm. sexual uh, abuse. You, you can't persist along that path, um, you know, and so <laughs> at the rate that they're going with what they're doing, they, they can't persist too much longer. They still, however, right now hold a lot of power. I mean, even the governments of the world contact the Vatican before they go to war. A lot of people don't even know this. They mm -hmm. contact to speak to the black pope, not a black man, but a black pope. He wears the black garment, okay? He's called a super Jesuit with a sworn oath, a very special sworn oath that I've posted online many times. Maybe if we have time, when, another time we can read the entire oath that they have to read. Mm -hmm. It's pretty dark. It's a mm -hmm. pretty dark oath, and it comes directly from their, their information, so it's not fabricated or somebody made it up online. And what's interesting is the, the governments of the world, the superpowers of the world, they contact and get approval for the war from the super Jesuit black Pope. Think about that kind of power. Think about that level of power. People don't even know a black Pope exists. They don't even know what a black Pope is, but when you start looking it up and then research the oath that's taken, it is so dark. It actually, it'll make you feel sick on the inside. That's how dark it is. Now, let me ask you, we've talked a little bit about, uh, pyramid, the, the great pyramids in Egypt, Egypt's, uh, temples and pyramids and things like that before we dive into a little bit more of that have you studied anything in india the temples and because that is the temples and the archaeological sites in india 
are not talked about that much in these conversations. It's always, it's always Mesoamerica. It's always, uh, you know, uh, Great Pyramids. But even pyramids in Japan, in China, in other areas, go back to Tepe, obviously now. But generally speaking, I don't hear a lot of conversations about India, but they have some remarkable temples, archaeological sites, information in those temples, how they made some of those things is absolutely insane. So what information do you have about the Hindu or the Hindu temples or Indian temples and cities and archaeological? Yeah, I'm doing an amazing, I have a new TV show coming out called Anunnaki History on Forbidden Knowledge TV. And we're just in the beginning stages of filming. And one of the things that I'm doing in one of my episodes is I'm tying together uh, the the Kailash temples of India. The Kailash temple is literally a mountain that's carved from the outside going in. Oh, yeah. Okay? That's gorgeous. So as oh, you yeah. start from the outside, if the, if the first cut is off by one millimeter, you can't finish the structure perfection. You can't finish the incredible openings and the reliefs and all the incredible designs on the inner walls and the perfectly square. Width. You can't do it. And so this is this is evidence of some type of either super guided laser technique or whatever it is. But I'm going to document them. I'm going to look for the tool marks and I'm going to compare the Kailash temples to Petra Jordan, to Abu Simbel in Egypt, to uh, the Lalibela temples of Africa. They're all made the same exact cutting technique and the same exact, I believe, cutting tool. Uh, and on any single one of those structures, you can't be one millimeter off when you start the first cut. And so I'm going to be documenting and talking about that. But the, these temples in India are just, they're mind-blowing how they're created. The incredible attention to detail from a lot of the carved rock, <clears throat> carved rock and a lot of the reliefs. Um, you know, again, these are, uh, in, in my personal opinion, some of them go back thousands of years. And I believe they're directly related to these Anunnaki people who created this Atlantean civilization. Depending on where they were on, in the world, they they had their own particular style. Same construction technique, but their own style and look of how the reliefs and how the design work would go. And uh, and I believe that uh, India was a location where they definitely walked walked amongst men, uh, and they built some some of the most incredible structures that exists on the planet, like you said, hardly ever talked about, but I'm going there uh, next year to document these and uh, and pull the whole thing together and connect the dots. What is interesting about the, the, the sites that you're talking about, I know exactly which one you're talking about, and for people listening, it's literally imagine you built a temple, and, and, and temple is not even a word I would use for these things, and you carved it out of a mountain as one solid piece so it's a solid piece so i i got to go see the david that was one solid piece of marble he made the david out of okay and that's impressive as hell i mean you sit in front of the david and you go jesus it's insane now do that with a mountain and that every little thing has to be cut or carved perfectly because if you you know like some parts inside the temple because there's, you can walk inside these structures that have been carved out yeah. of the of, of the mountain. Imagine, I'm just trying to think. Okay, so a dude starts carving up here and starts chiseling there, and it's all perfect. And when they go inside, they start chiseling, and they didn't go too far and bust a hole through the roof or anything like right. that. It's all perfect, and it looks 
we couldn't do that today if we no. even tried. Everyone always talks about, can we build the pyramids today? You know, could you? I don't know. Probably not the way they did it. Not with that precise, not that, that kind of precise engineering. But this is literally impossible. Like, this is not even, there's no technology today. Would you agree? There's like, you could argue, you can maybe try to lift some 20 tons, 80 ton blocks and granite, and you might be able to do the pyramids. And that's a big if. But this stuff, absolutely. And it's not just one of them. There. Yeah, I know. All over the It's a whole complex. It's a whole complex. Yeah, a bunch of them. I mean, and it's like they did it because it was easy. You see? They did this because it was easy. Can you imagine the excavation process in today's world? How much mass of rock and stone where needs is to be excavated? Right. And where is it now? Just that in itself is a mind-boggling paradigm. But but they were able to do it and they were able to do it very easily. So yeah, I'm going to be going there to document uh, these these temples, these ancient structures, and connect the dots between the same type of construction techniques used used around the world uh, in my new TV series. It's going to be an amazing series. People have to watch it. Anunnaki history is coming very soon. Start your day with Nature Made, the number one pharmacist recommended vitamin and supplement brand. And is that in Petra in Jordan, which was, if I'm not mistaken, they used Petra in Last Crusade, right? Uh, Indiana yeah. Jones in Last Crusade when they go in to go get the uh, the Holy Grail. Um, yeah. That is Petra. So for everybody listening, that's what Petra is. That also is carved out of a mountain, right? Yes, correct. Carved out of a mountain. Again, you cannot be off one millimeter when you start your first cut. And you have to have precision because... The most important thing about you said these places, these these structures have rooms and openings. So now you have to really understand the material that you're working with, and you have to understand uh, uh, gravity, weight, and stressors. You have to understand this because if you don't, now you're at a risk of collapse. So you really have to have advanced construction knowledge and an advanced knowledge of the material you're working on. How much weight and pressure can a particular beam handle? How much weight is dispersed over the over the over the area of a particular amount of mass when you create an opening? All of this has to be like calculated, otherwise it will collapse, and you've done it for nothing. So, oh man, it's it's insane. And then also, where did the rock go? Where did the rock? Because exactly. I mean, look, where did the rock go? Like they pulled all, and this is like you said, there's a complex of this. So arguably, mm -hmm. let's say they did it with the techniques that we have today which would be insane. Yeah. You basically would have to have thousands of Michelangelo's running around carving perfectly all the time. Right. Where did the rock go? That, that mass amount of rock, they didn't ship it somewhere. It is non-existent yeah. anywhere within hundreds of miles of those areas because right. the rocks would have had to have been, they didn't pulverize them to dirt. And if they did, that's yeah. impressive. <laughs> but, right. where, but where's the, like, where are the rocks? So I was when I was in Crazy. the when I was in the catacombs in Naples, you're talking about because it's underground, and it's I think it was Roman. It started off Roman and like it, it, it had multiple generations of people trying to like build upon them. And you look inside; it's beautiful, but it's very crude. I mean, nothing is perfect. Yeah. There's just holes where bodies were going. The roof is like, you know, more natural. It's not like perfect. It's very crude, and that's we're talking about a thousand to twelve hundred years ago. Extremely crude kind of technology yeah. to build this stuff. That was literally somebody just 
going in and just chiseling stuff out. And I'm, right. I assumed that there might have even been a little bit of opening there to begin with. Like there was a cave down there anyway, and they started building off of, of that. Yeah, because it's not like a rock. Yeah. Like, so what they're what we're talking about is, I just can't even understand how they even begin to do it. What what do you in yeah. your wildest dreams? How do you think it was, mm -hmm. it was done? Well, I think that they've discovered a way to maybe even compress atoms to the point where they can remove empty space in between atoms. And wow. so imagine if you, uh, of course, we know that atoms are 99.999% empty space. And so to give you an idea what that means, I can take all 8 billion people on Earth and remove the empty space within their atoms. I can fit everyone into one sugar cube. Mm -hmm. So yeah. that's how empty space is between atoms. Now, imagine you have the capability of removing the empty space in the atoms in those stones and those rocks, where instead of having to excavate billions of tons of rocks or hundreds of thousands of tons of rocks, you now just remove the empty space in their atoms and you smash them down into absolute tiny particles of dust that are still going to be heavy because the mass will still be there, but the size will be very much smaller. And then you can use some other type of advanced technology to move them out of there. Or maybe just leave them there. Who knows? But that's may, that may be one way that they did it. They have some type of a super sophisticated laser-guided cutting tool, which is already set in some type of a program that's already in some type of a computing system that has a, a pre-done layout or schematic uh, diagram, a blueprint for this carving and this cutting. And it goes in as some type of a machine that goes in and does all this incredible work. Uh, and then everything else is just, the excavation is just collapsed into you know, particles, heavy, heavy, heavy particles, but still particles nonetheless. That's that's how I think they possibly have done it. I think that might be even the future of waste management. Imagine instead of having piles and piles of garbage, you just utilize the capability of removing the empty space in the atoms, and you can turn a hundred thousand tons of garbage into a couple of crumbs. So it's almost like a three D printing technology, but not printing, carving, the three D carving technology almost. Right. Right, where, exactly, exactly. Where they're building yeah. it out. That's that is absolutely fascinating. Now, let me ask you though: How do you think that this technology, or th these temples in India, because you're doing this show, these temples and and sites in India are connected to the pyramids, to Petra, and these other, and, and even Mesoamerica? Yeah, one of the biggest connections you can make with the the, the temples and located in India and literally all around the world. When you look at the Earth's magnetic field grid, the map that show you of where the, all the, the magnetic field whips out of the Earth and mm -hmm. creates the magnetosphere, you will find that in the places where a lot of these magnetic fields come out of the Earth and you overlay another map on top that shows you where a lot of the temples and pyramids are located, all of a sudden you find that like 90% of them are on top of these magnetic fields. So they're connected by this magnetism. Somehow they know or they knew where these magnetic fields were, and they harnessed the power, the natural power of the Earth itself in the construction process. So in some way, it was so important that they harnessed the magnetic field, potentially to find a way to reverse the spin of the atom, to maybe reduce gravity of some of the stones. There's something where these magnetic fields worked along with their technology, which we don't have access to, which is now long gone, but I think their technology worked along with Earth's magnetic field because you have these super megalithic structures directly on top of them. Even look at Lebanon at Baalbek. I mean, you have super 
megalithic stones up on top of other megalithic stones. And the only way to do it is some type of anti-gravity or materialization technique, but again, directly on top of a huge magnetic field. So those Indian, those, the, the pyramids in India are connected to the others by magnetic fields. Now, I have to ask you this, because this is something else I, I observed when I was in France and when I was in Italy, is in almost every city I went to, there was an Egyptian obelisk in the center of town. And I'm not talking, I mean, in the Vatican, there's one. In Rome, there's one. There's many in Rome. Uh, I went to Bologna. There was one in Bologna. There was one in Modena. Like, you just start, and I'm like, in France, I was just driving around Paris. There's one, I'm just in the, why are there Egyptian obelisks everywhere? And we even have an obelisk, which is uh, the great one in um, uh, Washington Monument is a giant obelisk yeah. in our major city. What is it about mm -hmm. these things that are there? They're, the obelisks are remnants of an ancient golden age that existed where a lot of wisdom and knowledge uh, from the brick masons was passed down. And they are well aware of this. And a lot of the knowledge that was passed down from the purpose and use of the obelisk, all the additional construction in those ancient cities was passed down to brick masons over generations. And those people ended up becoming parts of governments that and they were overseeing construction for new cities and so forth. And so it's a paying oath to the to the ancient brick masons and the knowledge and wisdom that they've shared and, and saved and, he and held back from the general public over the years. The actual obelisk were wireless receivers for wireless electricity and even frequencies for sound. And so the Great Pyramid, for example, would generate this wireless electricity, which, which would shoot up out of the apex. The obelisk, they're all crystal granite. They would capture this ambient electricity from the atmosphere. And then if you had something called a jed, which you see all over Egypt, and even in some other cultures, like in Afghanistan, you can find the jed etched into stone as well. Uh, and also in um, Turkey, what happens is this jet would capture this ambient electricity. It looks like a Tesla coil. And then it, there's a cord coming out of it, which connect to their gold electroplating devices. We know they had electricity and they use them with the jet because depictions of it are all over Egypt and the gold plating is all over Egypt from ancient times. So we know they use electric gold plating. So it's not even a mystery. Of course, they had light bulbs which are etched into stone in the crypt located under underneath the Temple of Dendera and a few other places as well. So they had, this, but they all, all of those, of those depictions are connected to a jed. The jed would receive wireless electricity uh, from these obelisks. So these obelisks were pillars of, um, of, of power. And so they have now taken that as an archetype and a metaphor to put that in their locations and say, hey, we have power because that's what they did in ancient times. They're showcasing their power. If you look at Teotihuacan in Mexico, the, the, the pyramid complex there, which mimics identical to Giza Plateau in Africa and Egypt, you find out that you take a map of Rome's courtyard and overlay it over Teotihuacan, it's a perfect match. The courtyard is a perfect match to the courtyard of Teotihuacan right up until you get too close to the pyramid of the moon, the pyramid of the sun is behind it. And so... Then you have the obelisk directly in the center. So even the uh, Roman, uh, the, uh, the the Vatican, they mimicked even the courtyard of Teotihuacan, located all, all the way in Mexico, and they put an obelisk dead center. So they know what they're doing. They're just they're they're paying oath to 
tribute to the ancient past and the ancient knowledge of the brick masons and showcasing these obelisks as a symbol of power. Interesting. Very interesting. And another thing that was interesting is, as doing some more research into the Great Pyramid, not only have they never found any um, hieroglyphs in the Great Pyramid, so the whole tomb thing is a ridiculous idea that has perpetrated from a couple of white guys from the 1800s who said, this must be, this must be where they, but even though they've never found anybody dead there or any any hieroglyphs. I don't know about you, if I would have built pyramid, the Egyptians were, uh, they love talking about their stuff. And their hieroglyphs are everywhere. But yet, in the, in the pyramids, none. So that's interesting. But I was, I was looking at the other day is, inside the pyramids, how did they light while they worked inside the pyramids? Because there is no fire soot Reminences like there are in other temples that they, you could obviously see that they use fire to light the way. There's nothing like that in the Great Pyramid, correct? Nothing like that. As a matter of fact, even in the other temples, the fire and soot you see that came from the Coptic Christians long after the ones that were hiding from the Romans. They mm -hmm. were hiding from Romans. So if you go back prior, because they've been doing a, a reclamation project to clean up a lot of that soot, when you when they clean it off, you discover that in ancient times when that stuff was originally built. They didn't even have soot then, so they were actually using light bulbs in all these ancient temples. And in the Great Pyramid, of course, there's no evidence of any soot whatsoever. So we know that they had harnessed the power of electricity. The Great Pyramid itself is built on a base of magnetized crystal granite. Now, when the Nile used to run up close to the pyramid complex in ancient times, that water would be, was channeling to these aquifers directly underneath the Great Pyramid. When you have running water, Moving underneath magnetized crystal granite, you create something called physiostatic electricity. The ions will then push up in through the granite, up into the chamber. Some of the water would push down into the queen's chamber, which was an electrolysis device which extracted hydrogen atoms. The rest of the ions would get pushed up through the grand gallery where there were resonating rods and slots are still there for those rods to push it up into the king's chamber. The king chamber is magnetized crystal granite, a gigantic block wall with a two-to-one ratio on the inside. And in that room is a stone box, which they were claiming is a sarcophagus. I can't even fit in that box, okay? If I get <laughs> right. in that box, my knees have to be bent. <laughs> right, right, right. So it's not a sarcophagus. But that box is the same exact dimensions as the Ark of the Covenant. That's what sat in that box. And that would step the power up one more level and send the energy through uh, the top uh, plank of uh, uh, stop top of that, that stone, which was a crystal granite uh, uh, top, and it would go up through the apex, which was gold, and that would send wireless electricity out into the atmosphere, then to be captured by the obelisk. And so the other part, the queen's chamber, would extract the hydrogen atoms from the water and then shoot the hydrogen beams through the shafts that were pointed at star systems. Aldebaran, Sirius, uh, Orion, and so forth on different alignments. Why hydrogen? How do we communicate with, how do we try to communicate with aliens today? We transmit information piggybacked on the hydrogen frequency. Why do we do that? Because hydrogen is the most abundant element in the universe. And so that's how we feel that we can communicate with ET. Well, they were already doing this in the ancient past. And why were they doing it? Because on specific alignments with those shafts, they were sending information and updates about the breakaway civilization here on Earth directly through the pyramid shafts. So the pyramid, the Great Pyramid, was a multifunctional stone computer and also a power generator. If, if in today's world, 
um, if everybody left the planet today and a tribe found a cell tower and it is the great, it is the biggest thing for 200 miles. And they go, well, what do you think this was for? What do you think these people used it for? If we told you, oh, it's, well, we bounced, you know, then we talked on the phone and there's this thing and we come, oh, we also did internet. What's the internet? It seems insane to somebody. So what you're saying could sound insane, but yet try to explain a cell tower or an electricity grid to a Bushman who has never exactly. experienced any of this. It's not yeah. as far fetched, you know. It's all we're all look. They're all hypotheses. You don't know exactly if that happened because you weren't there. But exactly. this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to figure things out. Everyone's trying to figure things out. What happened back in the day? There's another thing I discovered uh, in my in my journeys, which is: Have you heard of the labyrinth in Egypt? There's supposedly um, a giant underground labyrinth in Egypt that they yes. That was supposed to be like, there's talks about it, there's history about it, that people would go down underneath mm -hmm. it. It was supposedly a massive underground yeah. thing, and they found some mm -hmm. remnants of it. Uh, I don't know where in Egypt, but they've started to find some of it. But it was massive. Do you know a little bit about that? I wrote about it in my book, Companion with the Emerald Tablets. Okay. And so this huge underground labyrinth exists exactly what thought the Atlanteans said it did. It starts actually underneath the Great Pyramid and it spreads out for miles underneath the Giza Plateau. It goes on for miles. And some of those tunnels go all the way from Giza all the way to the Pyramid of Ur, the Ziggurat of Ur in Iraq. You can go from Giza to Iraq underground. Okay? This labyrinth is massive and in order to build it and know where you're going, you have to have some ideal concept of uh from an aerial view of mapping and understanding angles and degrees uh and of course again knowing the material so you don't so you can prevent a collapse but he calls it the beginning part of this labyrinth is called the halls of amenti just one of many halls of amenti that actually exist and they discovered these halls that connected this labyrinth uh years ago which i i have a, they have a sketched image of them and i have it in my book compendium of the emerald tablet so this has been this has existed for eons. This this underground labyrinth of of passageways and tunnels that lead out. I mean, for miles and miles, it's incredible underneath the sands of Giza. Is this is? Do you think that these were built after the youngest the younger Dryas uh, collapse of or the collapse of Atlantis and whoever started to build this? They're like, it, we, look, we can't have this happen again, so let's build this underground city. So if something does happen up top, at least we have a fighting chance underneath. Is that what do you think that's yeah. what the case? Oh, no doubt. I believe it definitely was built uh, after the Younger Dryas. They may have even knew the Younger Dryas, or they may have knew, known about this uh, pre knowledge of this strike, this asteroid strike that was going to come and hit and uh, and just and create a type of a, uh, a catastrophe, an extinction level event was coming and may have started building these underground tunnels from then. Because all of a sudden in Turkey, around the same time frame, you have Darren Kuyu. 30,000 people underground, 14,000 ventilation shafts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have other areas throughout Turkey going all the way down into the Middle East where that people have built these underground shelters that can hold thousands of people underground with ventilation shafts all over the place. You have the labyrinth underneath Giza that goes out for miles and miles where a person can literally travel from one place to the other without ever coming above ground. And then in the Americas, you have the 
the story from the uh, indigenous tribes of the Americas about these people who took them into these underground caverns to hide from uh, something. They never specified exactly what it was, but to hide from something and it saved their lives. So it must have been a part of this catastrophe that happened. But all of a sudden, all around the world, around the same time, on, on several continents, you can see that people were going underground, almost a foreknowledge of this global catastrophic, uh, catastrophic event coming. The What are the materials that they're using uh, under underneath the, in, in this underground uh, complex in Egypt? Is it, what kind of materials were they, were they carving out there? It's the stone that's already down there. So whatever that sandstone or whatever's down there, they understood it. They know how to. And what's interesting is when you look at someone like, if you go into the Serapium, which I call Anki's Halls of Amenti, right, that's underground in Saqqara, when you see the perfect archways that are carved out and the alcoves that are carved out, again, this is almost like Kailash. Whatever they did, they knew how to cut this stone in a certain way where they almost vitrified it as they cut. So as they're cutting this tunnel underground, they're vitrifying it at the same time with high levels of heat. Which, re which reduces the amount of extraction of mass and brick and rock that need to be taken out because you're actually searing and burning it as you bore through at the same time. And it makes these perfect cuts, which are evident at the uh, Serapium in Saqqara. So I think they utilize the same exact technique. They look like giant halls. And when you go to look at the image that was uh, sketched from the one that was discovered under Giza, gigantic halls, perfectly arched underground, with the existing rock that's already there the the idea of a lot of a lot of people talk about the ideas of these oh the, you know they moved these giant 20 ton 40 ton 60 ton uh monolithic struck you know blocks using horses or using people and using things and it, 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 it's laughable it is laughable but you could argue it but once you get to these obelisks that were 120, 150 tons, wood doesn't work anymore. It just, it just doesn't, no. it can't, it can't, you can't move those things anymore at that point with wood and pulleys. It, it, it's just not capable of being done anymore. So yeah. I've looked, I've also studied the other, these, these um, kind of like these junkyards of of like obelisks that never left uh, out of the ground yeah. and big chunks of other things that just didn't make it. But the drill marks and the tool marks yes. are so precise. They look like something that we have today in, 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 in some areas. You're just like, I don't even know if we had something like this. Per you could even see where the, like the, 